Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. I, I am excited. I, I'm always a little bit daunted when we start a new book. I was sad to finish 1 Corinthians, um, but I'm, I'm excited about this. And so we are calling this, uh, this particular passage, or this particular series, Finding, Finding Our Identity. At least that's the working title. You know, it might change. We'll see. But that's where we're at. Um, so this new study, it comes at the, the threshold of another semester. Uh, and which, you know, the new semester is always a big deal for our ministry. It's a time of opportunity. It's a time for new investment, new new people that, that we're inviting to come alongside of us and study God's word. And I think it's really important for us as we enter into and engage in that work that we, that we know who we are, that we know who God has made us to be. And so as we begin Ephesians, uh, I think it, it, it's important and it's relevant that we find our identity in this book. Um, knowing who you are and, 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 and who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing in life can be very difficult, right? And I think 20-somethings know that well, right? People your age know that it can be very difficult for you to consider who it is that you're supposed to be. Life changes very rapidly, and some of us are working on degrees. Some of us are, are getting our, our first job or, or Man, some of you are at the stage where you always already realize that you hated the, the thing that you got a degree in. <laughs> and so you're starting a second career of some sort. You're, you're starting families. You're, some of you are new husbands, new wives. And so it can be hard to, sometimes to know who you are because who you are seems to be changing so quickly and so often. So much transition. But I, wanna, I, want, I, think, I think Ephesians is going to be important to us because there are certain foundational truths about our identity that will help guide us no matter what season we enter into and what moment of transition that we face. There are foundational truths, things that, that God has, a plan that God has for us that should guide every single decision that we make in life. These are enduring truths. And we have to know what they are so that we can have power and boldness as it concerns the way in which we live. And so we're going to pray. We're going to get into it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Turn there now. Have it ready. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful for you. We're thankful for this time. And uh, God, it's cool. I love the beginning of a new semester because everybody's back from summer break. Um, There is is a... um, a bunch of new faces in the room. There is an air of excitement uh, as it concerns your work and your ministry and, and, and people are preparing their hearts and their minds to do, uh, to do the work of the ministry. We're asking, Lord, that you would go before us, that you would prepare a way, that you would make us fruitful, um, that you would bring uh, divine appointments into our life, people, relationships, uh, that would be profitable for your namesake. Um, God, we're praying that the old, old friends would, would call us out of the blue. Um, Lord, we're praying for um, new relationships to be kindled. 
But Lord, above all, we're asking that you would help us to rely on your grace. It is the only thing that holds us up. Uh, We are weak in our flesh. We are constantly second-guessing. We we often find, find ourselves questioning who we are. But Lord, it's your grace that gives us identity. It's your grace that gives us purpose. And so Lord, teach us that from this book. It's what we need. And so we ask all of this in the the wonderful, the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's begin by reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from our God, uh, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as far as we're going to get today, is the introduction Right? And so I, I think that there's a lot of things that we need to unpack here, and, and, and I think it's worth us reflecting on this couple of verses here. As we consider our own identity, let's, let's look at our exemplar. We, we know from, from Paul's writings that, that he is the example to the Gentile church, that he's the one that we should be looking to as a model for our ministry, as a model for how we ought to behave and act and, and to live out this grace that God has given us. And the Apostle Paul is also the test case for understanding the power of knowing your true identity. And so we're going to look briefly at who the Apostle Paul is and consider him in light of where we're going. And so we know that Paul was previously identified by his given name, Saul of Tarsus, right? That's who he was once upon a time before we knew him as Paul. And Saul of Tarsus was a devoted rabbi and a leader of the anti-Christian movement in Jerusalem shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. He was a rabbi rouser. And he was given permission, permission uh, by those Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, the high priest. But also he got kind of a head nod from the Roman Empire. And they gave him permission to go and to seek out Christians those who were preaching and proselytizing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to round them up and bring them back to Jerusalem that they might be tried and, uh, you know, at least have their hands slapped. And so this is what he was about. This is what he was given to. He was passionate about it. We know that he was a zealous persecutor of believers. And in the midst of this initiative to round up Christ followers and and, and to, to, to bring them into captivity... He himself was arrested by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And as he traveled to Damascus to to find out and to seek out these believers, he encountered Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And Christ shone as a light, such a bright light that it it blinded Saul. And in that moment, in that encounter, Saul's life was forever changed. It's here where he became became a new man. Now soon, if we fast forward just a little bit, soon he found himself in Antioch. He found himself in Antioch ministering to a new church plant, a group of believers who were excited about following Jesus, but they needed someone to teach them. And so Barnabas called up his old friend Saul, and Saul came, and, and he became their teacher, and soon, and soon the church in Antioch began to grow in, in strength and, and the number of disciples increased and, and Paul and his friend Silas were sent out on the mission field looking for people of peace 
and establishing churches in every city that they came across. They were looking for people that were willing to listen, people that were willing to receive and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And in these places where a small group of people would would say yes to the gospel message, they would establish churches, they would begin to disciple, and and they would prepare this city or, or these people for a work of God. Now in 53 AD, Paul ministered in Ephesus for the very first time. Ephesus was in Asia Minor, what we call modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was a port city, and it it sat directly across the Aegean Sea from Athens, right? So they're they're parallel to one another, two major port cities. It's a key place for him to be. Now, the church in Ephesus was a, a group of believers that Paul dearly loved, In Acts chapter 20, we learn that Paul had invested heavily in the people of Ephesus, and he suffered great persecution on on, on behalf of their faith. He, he, He went through trial and suffering in order to establish this this great people in relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, he's addressing them and he says unto them. You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. You have showed and have taught, uh, uh, but I've showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. So he had invested Everything that he had into these people. He loved them so much. The church in Ephesus had Paul's heart and he had theirs. And we see this clearly at the point that we see in Acts chapter 20 that he has to depart from Ephesus and go do other work. And he meets them on the shoreline before he departs. And this is how the story goes. In Acts chapter 20 verse 36 it says... And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. And, and the reason I'm, 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 I apologize, the reason I'm, I'm kind of moved by this is um, I can't help but think about the, the Vietnam team. Because it reminds me of, of the relationship that we have with those believers that we sent off just last week. And we're trusting God to use them for for an indefinite period of time. We don't don't know when we'll see those folks next. We don't know when we'll see Mankit's face again, you know? We don't know when when Andrew Ong and Rachel will will grace us with their presence again. We don't know. And and so it's it's just a, a powerful reminder of that love that we have for each other, but the necessity of going, 
the necessity of it, the need for it, how much greater is it to know that we're being used by God? It's only temporary pain that we, we be separated for, from one another, but man, how much greater is it to know that God wants to use us and he wants to make our lives have purpose? Life is so short. It's so brief. It's but a vapor. We want to know that God is using us. We want to know that we have an identity and a purpose in this world. Paul was their teacher, their pastor, their their friend, and their apostle. And so when Paul wrote from a prison cell in Rome in 62 AD, the church in Ephesus received this letter with great excitement and bated breath. And Paul begins his letter to them, as he he does many of his letters, identifying himself to the readers. He doesn't need an introduction, but he does it nonetheless. And this is what he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Now consider for a second how drastically Paul's life has changed in just two decades leading up to this point. I mean, when we first see him, he's a persecutor of the church. And now he writes to the church in Ephesus as the apostle of Jesus Christ. He had become a completely new person with a completely new identity and with a completely new and unique gifting of God. And the same thing is true for every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. God wants to give you a new identity. He wants to change the way that you think. He wants to change the things that you do. He wants to alter your behavior. And he wants you in your mind, in your innermost man, in your heart and in your mind, to understand that you are no longer the person that you once were. That's a a critical thing. We, we, We have to know who God has made us to be. Paul was a young man at the point of his conversion, but we find him here mature and confident in who God has made him. Now, I believe it's critical for us to consider Paul's title, apostle. The word apostle means sent one. He's a sent one. Paul was sent to preach and teach the heathen Gentile nations. And in that way, we also are the sent ones. God is making us into people who are willing to go and find the lost, seek the lost, and to deliver to them the hope of the message of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We too are sent ones. Now, we also know that the the title apostle was a unique title. It was also an office that distinguished Paul and his gifting from other believers in the church of the first century. Those that carried this unique title we're able to do ex, uh, extraordinary miracles. And we, we, we just talked about this when we studied 1 Corinthians. We saw it when we studied the book of Acts together. We saw that the apostles were given these miraculous gifts that they might show or exemplify the fact that their message was relevant and valid. So God had bestowed these miraculous gifts upon the apostles that they might perform these gifts to draw attention to the fact that the gospel itself was, was a valid message. You can, imagine, you can imagine the apostles traveling through the ancient world, 
delivering this message of Jesus Christ and, and the, the, the Greeks would refuse it because they had their gods. And the Jews would refuse it because, you know, they believed in, in, in the traditions of the Old Testament. And so in order to validate the power and the relevance of their gospel, God gave them special gifts. And Paul was one of those men. The apostles were the earliest ambassadors of the gospel, and so God saw fit to give them this ability. Now, Paul was given the title of apostle, and he was given it specifically to reach the Gentiles, people just like the church in Ephesus. And he reckoned it a great honor to be employed by Christ for this work. And because he considers it an honor, he has no problem being honest about the role that he played. And here's the question for you. Here's, here's, the, here's the first moment of encounter this morning. I wonder if the, we as believers are as confident in who God has made us to be as Paul is. When we look in the mirror, many of us struggle to accept what we see. Many of us look at ourselves and we have a hard time valuing who we see in the mirror. Not only that, but, but we know who we really are, don't we? I mean, no one else, no one else in this world can truly know you. And, and if we're honest, I mean, we, we oftentimes don't even know ourselves. But we know the deepest, darkest secrets. We, we know our weaknesses. We know our insecurities. And when we think about ourselves and we reflect on ourselves in our heart and our mind, we don't like who we are. We have an image in our mind of what we wished we were, but what we see is vastly different from what we, we see looking back at us. So what do we do? I mean, many, many of us pretend that our, our solution to that is to pretend that we're someone else. And so we walk around, and we, we've, we used to use this word in the late 90s, early 2000s, we front. Do they still use that terminology? So we pose, we posture, we front. We, 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 we put on airs of confidence. We mingle with the people that we want to be seen with. We establish worldly identities that, that are supposed to, supposed to give us confidence. But none of those things truly bring us peace. And let's be real honest, believer. If you've been around the church for any length of time, the truth is you've probably at times grown into a habit of comparing yourself to other believers in this church. And you look at your family, you look at your brothers and sisters in this room, and you say, well, I sure wish I was more like so-and-so. I, I, I wish I was put together like, like so-and-so. 
I wish I could command a room the way so-and-so does, or I wish I could lead that way, or I, or I wish I had that gifting. And we spend our lives year after year wasting away, wasting time, pretending to be things that we aren't, and despising the things that we aren't, and never finding our true identity. Never ever coming to a place where we're reconciling exactly who God made us to be. And it's a shame. It's a shame. And as long as we live that way, the, the strange paradox of the whole thing is that this church body will never be what it's supposed to be until you figure out who you're supposed to be. You know, we obsess over other people's lives, and sadly, I think social media has only compounded those problems. We look at what other people have and what they have to say, how smart they are, the situations and the abilities that they have, that they live through. We sit and we stare and we reflect and we never come to a place of peace. And those, those things, all of that comparison that we do, it either advances our pride to make us think that we're something that we're not, or it spurs jealousy. The thing that we need to understand is that, that who God made you to be is who God wills you to be. Listen to how Paul speaks of his office. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, by the will of God. God has made each of us unique so that we would meet the unique needs of this church. We can no more remove our freckles from our face or add height to our stature than we can alter who God has gifted us to be. You know, later on in the letter, Paul's going to address this at great length, but we'll jump ahead here for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 says this, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's why he gave us these gifts. That's who he made us the way that we are. That's why he made us the way that we are, is that we might work and strive towards the perfecting of the saints for the work of of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 16 in chapter 4 says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. And the, and the truth is, until you know who you are, until you can identify who God's made you to be, it makes it very difficult for you to join yourself to the body of Christ, to be fitly joined together. It's difficult. Let me take a moment here just to address something I think is of, of, of extreme importance. And that's this, that there is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. There's no hierarchy. There are no favorite children in God's family. So we have to get over that. I mean, think about it just for a moment. Let's be very practical. See, you know who you are, but God knows you even better. See, you have the capacity to lie to yourself about yourself. 
God can't lie. He sees everything for what it is. Now, when he looks at your life and there is no, there is no abstraction, he sees it with crystal clearness. He sees all of that junk and he still loves you and cares for you and has gifted you that you might be used? I mean, what else do you have to know about unconditional love? God cares for you and he's gifted you and he's held you in high esteem and so there's no need for you to compare yourself to other people. Know who you are. We are all of equal significance and value in God's heart and in his work, and that leads us to our first key point, and that's this. Understanding your identity looks like accepting who God made you to be. That's what it looks like. Understanding your identity looks like accepting who God made you to be. Paul had reconciled who who he was, and he accepted it with joy. He knew his past. He knew his present. He knew his objectives. And he accepted those things. God is good, is he not? Which means that his will is good. And so we should be willing to be and do according to his will because we know that it's good. Psalm 143.10 says this, Teach me to do thy will. For thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. So, So we have to learn to be at peace with the type of person that God has made us to be. He's fitly joined us to the work, and we need to be about it. We need to be about it. So, you know, I I think I was reflecting a little bit on the leaders in this ministry and how different they are, you know? Um, When I think about Eric Phillips, ain't nobody like that. (laughs) There's There's no one like Nick Hatton. There's no one like Danny Erla. There's no one like Alvaro. There's no one like Elijah or Naveen. There's no one like you. God has made you a very specific way. Right? There's only only one Micah. There's no one that can do and be what Micah can do and be. But we spend so much time trying to usurp what God has willed. I mean, there's so little that we can control in our life. There's certain things we can control in our life. Our faith dictates our sanctification. You don't have to be a sinner. If you're full of faith and you're obeying God's word, you don't have to be weak. You don't have to be ignorant. But there are so many things that are outside of our control. The way that we look, the circumstances of our life, and the way in which God has gifted us. And the question is, are we or are we not going to accept that and thrive in that work of God? That's the question on the table. And some of you are like, well, I don't know who God made me to be yet. You know, for many of us, you know, who've only just begun to follow Jesus Christ, I, wanna, I want to 
to challenge you to simply exercise ministry, to simply serve, to, 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 to simply get in where you fit in. Apply yourself, and over time, God will reveal to you who he's made you to be in this ministry. Keep ministering, keep trying new things, and let the will of God be proven as you commit yourself in small ways to the work of the ministry. You know, there's, there's so many fairly new believers in the room. There's, there's so many fairly new disciples, people who are just st- starting out, just launching out into this thing called walking with Christ, discipleship. Don't be dismayed. Listen, you're never, listen, this is super important because this is a, this is a truth that transcends, that transcends time and space, okay? You're never behind That's not a thing. You're never, ever behind. If you're in the will of God, you're exactly where you need to be. Keep going. Keep exercising your faith. He's going to make you exactly who he wants you to be, but you can never get stuck in your, your mind that you'll never add up. You'll never catch up. These are, demo- these are demonic lies that undermine the power and the value of God's work in your life. Okay, so we've talked about our identity. Let's talk about our collective identity. Okay, so we have our personal identity that we just talked about. Now let's talk about our collective identity. Not only is it important for Paul to identify who he is as an individual, but it's important for him to identify his audience. Keep in mind who Paul is addressing in this letter. Okay? Because we're going to need to reference that over and over and over again because it helps establish a context for us throughout, throughout, throughout the entirety of the letter. We're going to have to keep coming back to, oh, wait, who, who is Paul talking about? Who is he talking to? That's important for us. But as, as we've only just begun, it's very clear to us that he is writing to the saints at the church in Ephesus. What does it say? It says, to the saints which are in Ephesus. So that should, hopefully that's not complicated for you. Because if it, is, if it is, Bible study in general is going to be very difficult. Okay, If we don't understand the plain words of the Bible, uh, we have no business diving into the deep things. So who is this written to? It's written to the saints, which are Ephesus. And so the question is, what is a saint? What is a saint? Now, contrary to popular culture and religious dogma, a saint is not a dead person clearly, who is canonized because history remembers them as being particularly spiritual. A saint is not something that you earn or gain. It's not rooted in your reputation. It's none of those things. What we learn in the nine times in which the word saint is used in the letter to Ephesus, we learn that a saint is a common member of the body of Christ. See, God uses the word saint very liberally to simply describe anyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is a saint in the Bible. So it's used to describe those who've trusted Jesus as Savior. The word saint very literally means one who has been set apart. One who has been set apart. And it's your faith in Christ that sets you apart 
from a dark and dying world. Okay? What am I being set apart from? Well, I'm being set apart from the curse that once ruled over my life. I'm being set apart from the sin that used to identify every aspect of who I was. I'm being set apart from the darkness of this world, and I'm being brought into the light. I'm being set free. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ and received him as your Savior, you are a saint. You are a set-apart one. But notice that this is, this is to the saints. It's plural, right? The word is plural. Paul is speaking to the body corporate. This is a community of people that are set apart. Not only that, but he characterizes them further by using another word. The word in Greek is pistos, and it's translated as the phrase to the faithful. To the faithful. So he describes them as the faithful, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. The word to the faithful is a plural adjective, a descriptive word used to describe a collective of believing people. The church in Ephesus, listen to me, is more than just a gathering. It's a collective of believing people. Now, here, here's what I want to get to. This is, this is what I want to uncover here. There are too many of us in the Christian faith who treat church as though it's something that we do on Sunday. There are too many people in the world who call themselves Christian, who think that the extent of their life, the extent of their, of their Christianity is whether or not they come and they sit in a pew or in a row just like you do on Sundays. And what we learn here is that that's, that's not enough. That's not enough. That if we're going to be the church, then we need to be the collective of people who are faithful in Christ. We need to believe. We need to provoke faith in one another. We need to apply faith together because the truth is this, that it's not good enough for you to be a saint. God has called us to be saints, to be together, to be together in this work. Midtown Baptist Temple is a group of people bound together by the deepest and most profound belief that anyone could have, and that's this, Christ has set us free. So here, here, here we ask a very, very important question, okay, and this is a question that only you can answer, and it's this. Are we truly bound together? Are our hearts knit together in this work? Are we a team? Are we soldiers fighting together in battle? Are we brothers and sisters? It's always good to quote Kenny Morgan, so I'm going to do that here. You know, Kenny says often in uh, D2, the local church is not an elective, but that's how we've treated it. 
The, the local church is not a choice. And, and so, I, you know, at, at risk of being a little abrasive, I want to point out the fact that there are many of you in this room that come here week after week after week. And, I, and, and to be honest with you, I don't know why you're coming because my preaching is not that good. Maybe it's the friendships. Maybe there's something else that's drawn you here. But, but here's the deal. There are too many people that are coming and visiting week after week who are not applying themselves to the work of God. Of God. They're not knitting themselves into the body. They're not, they're not binding themselves to the other believers in this local church. And I want to call you to come do body life, to do church with us, to stop hanging out on the periphery, to quit assuming that you're going to gain something by osmosis. Being in proximity of truth does not make you a better believer. Obeying truth and locking arms with your comrades will make you a better believer. That's where the sanctifying work takes place. That is how we grow. That is where where we grow in knowledge. That is where we grow in wisdom. And that is how, how we become what God's made us to be. So stop hanging out in the fray And come in and make this your family because you can't be who God's made you to be if you hang out, uh, you know, on on the periphery of the work. Devote yourself. Here's the next key point. Understanding your identity looks like accepting the people that God has joined you to. You know, over the last few months, this is very difficult, I'm 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 going to be really honest with you right now. Over the last few months, it always, this happens every summer. You know, last year God did a, a lot. And man, we had so many new disciples coming into the ministry, wanting to grow in their faith, learning God's word, coming to Bible study regularly, attending church services, learning to be a part of ministry. It's, man, God was faithful to us last school year. We, we, we saw God do so much and the interesting thing is that, that, that in the summer months, people go away, they go back home, they go back and they, they stay with their family before they, re, they return back to school or whatever it is. Or maybe it's just that there's kind of a lull in activity in the summer and, and they find themselves with a lot of free time on their hands. And what happens is that people, that people and circumstances and whispering lies convince them that this is just not the family for them. It's usually really small things that they use to justify that decision. It's usually things like, you know, well, uh, you know, I just don't have enough time. Or, uh, you know, I, I got a new job and, and the hours are tough and, you know, I, you know, I have to, this I have something I have to do. Uh, or, or, or maybe the, the, their family members took qualms with what we believe and they have problems or issues with that. And they're like, you can't go back to that church. Those folks are crazy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can admit that much. But we're crazy for Jesus and we believe the literality of God's word. So if that makes me crazy, so be it. Right? I believe, I believe every one of these words was written for my edifying. 
And so I believe it with great literality. I believe exactly what it says. And if that makes me crazy, that's fine. And so if, you're, if your liberal aunt who despises what you believe tells you to not come back to this church, there's not much I can do about that. I can only beg so much, right? But we lose people. We, we lose people to lies. And I gotta, I gotta admit, it kind of hurts. It kind of hurts to, to, to give your life and your time and your energy and your prayers to investing in a person who sees this as optional. They see this as an elective. They see this as just a choice on a, on a buffet of other things that they could be doing. That's not Christianity. Christianity by necessity brings the saints together to strive and to believe that Christ can do a mighty work in this world. And that's what we're here together for. That's, that's the reason that we come together. It's inconvenient. The drive is inconvenient. Oh, it's the drive to get here. I have to drive 30 minutes to get here or whatever it is. There's things about it. Bible study, again, there's things about it. There's things about it that are inconvenient. There's things about it that are challenging. Oh, I don't want people in my business. Tough luck. That's part of it. We're going to ask you for your time and energy because that's what family does. Ministry might ask you to change your schedule or reprioritize. We get it. It's hard. But it's what being faithful in Christ looks like. So this starts with us learning to gather regularly, but over time, over time, it means that we work together regularly. And so for those of you who are learning to gather regularly, good. Now let's work together. Let's do ministry together. Let's do life together. Okay, third thing. And that's this. We've got an understanding that our personal identity and, and, and reckoning that before the Lord is really, really important. We've also learned that, that part of our identity, identity is learning to rely on one another and, one another and be with each other uh, in, in, in community and to embrace the local church and to apply ourselves in ministry. We understand that now. But the other thing about our identity that's really important is actually Christ's identity toward us. His identity actually has a lot to do with who we are. Who God is to us is critical. And so here we find in the greeting to the church in Ephesus, Paul says this, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now grace is perhaps the most beautiful word and concept in all of Christianity. It's also the most easily dismissed because of its ubiquity in our culture. It's become a, a, a trite word. It's become kitchen art. Right? You guys want to mean what? Right? Your suburban mom probably has some signage that talks about grace just above the stove. Right? You know, it's on par with words like blessed. Hashtag blessed. You know? 
We've abused the word. People use the word the way they wear crosses around their neck. It's lost its potency because it's been appropriated by people who can't even appreciate it. Now, it would take weeks for us to exhaust what Scripture says on the topic of grace. But I want us to consider a couple of important things about grace, pertinent to what we're talking about today. And the first thing is this, that grace is God's transformative gift. It's his transformative gift. And it is a gift. It's a gift. It's something he bestows to us. It's not something we earn. That's the way gifts work. We didn't earn it. Otherwise, it would be a wage. It doesn't say a wage, right? It's a gift. We can't be good enough. We can't be smart enough. We can't earn his favor. He extends it to us as a gift. It's a gift. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You couldn't do it. It is the gift of God. Now, why is that so important? Well, it tells us here in the, in the verse. Not of works, not anything you could do, because if you could do it, if you could do it, you would boast before the living God. You would stand before him in heaven and say, I'm so glad I earned my way here. What would the point of Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying for our sins be if we could just earn our salvation? Why was that necessary? No, 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 no. Jesus Christ dying for our sin and raising for the, for, from the dead is the perfect gift of grace. It's a gift. He has extended it to us even though we did not deserve it. And it has transformative power. It changes everything. That's what grace does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Anyone found within the grace of Jesus Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. I mean, go, again, go back to Saul and Paul. Think about the story at the beginning of our sermon today. Think about the transformative power in the Apostle Paul. What happened? I mean, he was, he was a man that facilitated the murder of Christians. And here we have him declaring that he's the apostle of the Gentiles and that God wants to use him and the church mightily for his namesake. There's transformative power in the gospel and he can take old things and make them new. That's who our God is. He's the God of new creation. So grace is, a, is God's transformative gift, but grace, grace is also actively available in God. Grace isn't just that moment where we profess Christ as our Savior, we, we called out to him and said, God, would you enter my life? Grace didn't end at the moment of our salvation. It has active power in our life. And it's sad to me that Christians so often forget that. Christians are often depressed and disappointed in their life. They think that one failure sets them back forever. There's no recovering from this. Again, they look in the mirror and they say, I don't like who's looking back at me. And the reason that they think that way is because they don't understand that grace is active in their life even now. The first mention of grace in Scripture 
is in the account of Noah, Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, the, the first 25 instances of grace in your Bible refer to the sight of God. They refer to, to God's eyes, his ability to see. In other words, grace is found within God's field of vision. Grace exists and it abides within God's field of vision. Why is this important? Because God's field of vision is limitless. There's nothing the man can't see. And the very fact that he can see you and know you proves the fact that his grace is available to you even right now. That you don't have to feel hopeless. Psalm 139.7 says this, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither, whither shall I flee from thy presence? And obviously that's a rhetorical question. We know, as, as David goes on in that psalm, that there's no place he can go, even Sheol, where God can't see him. Jeremiah 23, 23 says, you know, God's talking to Jeremiah, and he says, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? He sees everything. He is everywhere. You know, Jonah thought that he could flee from the sight of God, and that did not work out real well. He was wrong. He was wrong. And so here's the deal. The knowledge of God's sight upon us is to know that grace is always available to us. And not only that, when we, when we lay hold on the fact that Jesus loves us, adores us, he cares for us, and he forgives us perpetually, once we understand that to be true, that grace sustains us. It holds us up, makes us unafraid, it makes us bold. We don't have to cower anymore. We don't have to hide. We don't have to despise who we see in the mirror. 1 Peter 5, 12 says this, By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that it is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The grace of God is a place that, that you should be standing and living and dwelling in. When you, when you mess up, when you struggle, when, when, when your perceptions are wrong, when, when things don't go the way you imagine them to go, you stand in God's grace because it holds you up and it call, calls what should be called wicked, calls it good and valuable. It brings worth to your life. Key point, understanding your identity looks like accepting who God is to you. Who is God to you? He's the hand of grace. And Ephesians, in my opinion, is the book of grace. This word shows up in greater volume per page than any other book in the New Testament. 
And I hope that by the time we finish this study, that all of us will grow in our understanding of God's love and acceptance. But I also, I also hope that we would learn to rely more heavily on grace to frame our perception of ourselves and others. We can be really hard on other people. Usually if we're hard on ourselves, the truth is we're hard on other people too. The two things kind of go hand in hand. We can, be, we can be really hard on each other. We can hold each other to expectations that are completely unfair. And I'm really hoping that by the time that we finish Ephesians, we'd have a better understanding of who we are in Christ, but then we'd be able to ex- extend that same understanding to other people. And that we could accept other people at the level of grace that God extends to us. I mean, grace, grace to us look like Christ dying on the cross and professing his great love. What does, what does your grace in your life look extended to others? It's very critical. It's very important to who we are. And I can't wait as we continue through this study, I can't wait to see the kind of confidence that we might gain in knowing who God has made us to be and the gifts Guys, the inheritance that he's given us, the blessings that he's given us, when we never deserve them. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to what we're going to learn from Ephesians in the coming seven years. <laughs> no, I don't think it'll take that long. We'll see. Depends on how good it is, right? So here we are, here we are. This is the point of the service where we do invitation, which means a lot of you start ignoring me starting now. And you start putting your stuff away and you're like, get the heck out of here, I need some fried chicken. Okay. Please don't do that. We still, we, we, we want to we sing a song of worship to the Lord and we want to take a moment to work through anything that we need to work through. If you're already understanding that, that you have some identity issues, Maybe you know that, that you have not yet accepted who God made you to be in the body of Christ. And you're coming to a place where it's like, you know what, for le- leadership for me, it, it, I don't have to look like Alex, and I don't have to look like Caleb, and I don't, I don't have to look like JJ. I don't, have to, I don't have to be like them. I just have to be who God made me to be. We all obey the same word, but... but Man, God manifest in me is unique, and I want to accept that. Maybe you need to come pray with someone today. Maybe you recognize that you have abused the body of Christ, and, and you've neglected what God's given you here among these people. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe for a while now you have been abusing the other people's faithfulness to you, their investment in you. And maybe you need to get that right this morning. Last of all, maybe, maybe you've forgotten or never quite learned what it means to rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. And you need to, today, for the very first time, receive the peace that Paul's talking about by laying down your life and calling out to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know what it means to be saved, if you don't know what it means to be born again and and be unshackled from your sin, you know, the thing that keeps you up at night, then come talk with someone and they'll show you from God's word what it means 
to know the grace of Jesus Christ. There'll be, there'll be counselors standing up here and you can come grab a hold of somebody and go pray with them. David, if you'd come up, let's go ahead and, and pray and, and worship the Lord as we conclude. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Um, we didn't get very far today, but, but where we were, I, I think there was just a lot of things that were necessary for us to get started. And so God, thank you for calling us your children and giving us your identity. It's a privilege to carry the name Christian, little Christ. To know that, that, that we are the children of the living God. That we find acceptance in you. It's, it's, that's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Thank you, God. But Lord, there's more to learn and there's more to trust you for and, and there's more promises to hold on to and things to consider. And so Lord, as we as we venture into Ephesians, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and you'd teach us everything that we need to learn as a ministry. But God, I want to also ask that in this moment, we wouldn't waste it. That Lord, that there are people in the room, certainly that are convicted about what they've learned today and, and what they're hearing. And I pray that, Lord, they would have the confidence to grab a hold of someone and to pray and to work through the issues that they face. Those things that have have not yet been reckoned in their life. Lord, I pray that they would lay those things before you and that they would learn to trust you. And so God, whatever it is that people are, are struggling with or working through, Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to step out and to seek after you. God, again, thank you for your word and thank you for the goodness of your son, Jesus Christ. It truly is uh, uh, beautiful to us, uh, your grace. And so we ask, we ask for your blessing in Christ's name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.